Eagles Entertainment. Anything that moves, I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right of the week, and we've got an NFC title game to break down as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 444. At the top of today's show, we've got three and out where I chat with Chris McPherson about the three things on the top of his mind as the Eagles prepare to host the San Francisco 49ers on Sunday afternoon at Lincoln Financial Field. After that, we've got Chalk Talk, where Ben Fennel and I discuss this matchup from an X's and O's standpoint. What are the most important parts of this game for you to understand? Which factors could tilt this game? on Sunday. We're going to empty out the notebooks there in that segment and then after that, we're going to get to close out this show faux focus. We're going to bring in Vish Kumaran, who does an outstanding job breaking down the 49ers over on his YouTube page. Some excellent content breaking down this team from an X's and O's standpoint. He's going to join us to break down this matchup uh, from San Francisco's point of view at the end of the show. Before we get there, make sure, as always, head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. If you've got a question, leave it there. We'll answer it here in an upcoming episode. Also, this week on Tape Study on Eagles Game Plan, I sat down with Eagles pass game coordinator Kevin Petulo. We talked through quarterback progressions and setting up a game plan, preparing for a defense, obviously very topical, going up against the 49ers. Here's a chunk from that segment we call Tape Study. I thought for this segment, we would kind of go through some of the intricacies that go into individual plays and how all 11 players can be involved and also how things could progress a little bit differently depending on how the defense deploys its coverage. Yeah, it's true. I mean, each game we go into it looking at what the defense does, what we do as an offense, and we try to pair it together. You know, every coverage is different, whether it's quarters and they match or it's quarters and they zone drop. It's our job as coaches to figure that out and get the players in a good spot to succeed. Is that something that you can kind of have an idea going into the week to say, like, okay, this is how we think they're going to play, but you almost have to check your work early on in the game to see exactly how they're going to play it? So that's a big part of it, right? We go into it going, here's the plan, and then if we need to adjust, here's what we go to. And a lot of that is on us as coaches and the players to execute it at the right time and see it on the play. Something that a lot of fans don't realize is that on this ball for for AJ, he has to really maintain that red line, right? That Correct. imaginary line between the numbers and the sideline, just to give Jalen more work to uh, more room to work along the sideline. So what we talk about is that red line's five yards from the sideline. We got to hold that line that gives him that five yard box to drop that ball in, right? And you need to be hip to hip as best you can, so you can adjust to the ball late, whatever you need to do to make that play. And it's a great job. And the safety can't make the play. AJ's in a great position. You've talked about the uh, the late hands from Correct. AJ. In the- Basically did it there too. That's another right? example of that. Eyes up, late hands. And talk about the the uh, contributions here from both Kenny Gainwell and from Dallas as well, pitching in and pass protection. Yep. So anytime you know we change protection, everybody's got to be in tune. Everybody's got to hear it. Everybody's got to see it, and everybody's got to know the call. And when you do something like this, they need to know. So they do a good job of sorting this out on the fly with the play clock going as we check to this to give Jalen enough time. And Kenny does a great job of striking low underneath his chin and giving Jalen time to make this pass. Yeah, it's just especially from Kenny and Dallas, two guys that, you know, when you watch them coming out of college, they weren't necessarily asked to be blockers uh, in their respective offenses at at South Dakota State and in Memphis. And to see them grow into the blockers they've become in the last two, three, four years has been awesome to see. Yeah, they really have done a good job. 
It helps to also have the tight ends that have that ability to attack that intermediate area of the field. Right? We saw Dallas uh, help on the previous play, and you see Grant, this is his first career target, takes this one 40 yards. Correct. You know, these guys all have speed, and that's what you want. You want speed down the field and stress the defenders as much as you can because they feel it no matter where they're at. They feel the speed from everybody, so they got to get depth, make sure they don't give up a big play. But you can still hit a crosser and create a big play out of that. And the last question, coming into this season, a big topic of conversation was, hey, this is year two for Jalen uh, in the scheme. And it was almost like, oh, we're talking about too much. Is, is it overrated? But clearly not an overrated aspect of the season, right? It was just Jalen feeling additional comfort in year two in the system. Yeah, I think it really helped. You went through a full offseason again, a full season from the year before, and you just build on that, and the system grows and becomes second nature for you. You can just play within the system and see everything and just react to it rather than trying to remember what you're supposed to do. You're just reacting, and he's done a great job all year of reacting and getting us in the right place and making plays for us. And again, for that entire segment, be sure to watch Eagles Game Plan or check out Tape Study, which will go up on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com, the Eagles mobile app, and all Eagles social channels. That said, let's now talk through this matchup. It's time now for 3 and Out. How about this for a start? They've got him again! What a defensive stop. Slay's second pick of the game. Oh, I'm going to have to call him big play. And this defense does the job. One, two, three and out. All right, let's now spin this forward to this weekend's matchup against the San Francisco 49ers, and we're bringing in C-Mac, not Christian McCaffrey. It's Chris McPherson. Oh, please. Uh, I appreciate it. The original C-Mac. The original. Uh, the original C- The OG C-Mac. Uh, C-Mac, uh, a lot to talk through. Well, oh, I'm excited. My, about, my, my. I mean, I've had so much juice about this matchup all week. It's, this is a fun one to break down. It. Yeah, you can a fun feel one. it in the pit in our office where it's like, you know, everyone congregates to work. It's like Fran is just revving up a storm here. So, you know, I, have you got home to see the, the uh, wife and little Francis I have. Yeah, I've been making okay. do. We've been, uh, we, Francis has been watching some 49ers take with me. Uh, he's <laughs> pointing some be. things out. So, no, we're, uh, we're on top of he it. He knows more than I do already. So, <laughs> so for me, three and out, I'm going to go with the Vindication Tour, okay? So, first thing I'm going to throw at you, Fran, here is yes. both of the defensive coordinators in this Sunday's matchup are prime head coaching candidates. One, former Eagle D'Amico Ryans. I think his nickname was, like, the president when he yep. was here, you know, Mufasa. All, the Mufasa symbol, yep, all that stuff. But, I, you know, he's someone who you just knew was going to go on to, whether it's a CEO or a company or what have you. Like, he was destined for greatness beyond playing football. He was an absolute joy to cover when he was here. Outstanding leader. And the other is Jonathan Gannon, who has been phenomenal in his time here, an energetic communicator, terrific leader in his own right. You, I love seeing some of the pictures in the locker room after the win on Saturday of the guys hugging him on both sides of the ball. Yeah. Not even just Defensive guys, offensive guys too. He's done a great job as Nick Sirianni talks about connection here. So, but everyone talks about D'Amico Ryan's and, and the Niners being the best defense in football. And I'm going to go through some of the numbers. Okay, this season just you know justifies it. First in sacks was 70. First in pressure rate, almost 11%. First in yards per play allowed. First in passing defense. Seaback, you are uh, that is it's the wrong uh, it's the wrong defense there. Oh oh. Wait a second. <laughs> We're talking about those are the numbers with John Gannon. Oh, oh, okay. A little bait and switch. I like wow. it. Wow. Oh man, that's that's Gannon's defense. <laughs> I don't think people would have realized it. All right. So people will say, well, you know, John Gannon. Well, he's great in year two because look at the guys they've added. They mm. have James Bradbury and Hassan Reddick. Phenomenal. They're only players. good because of the talent, right? You're telling me D'Amico Ryan has scrubs. The only defense with three or with all pros at all three levels. All three levels. Yeah. Insane, okay? Nick Bosa, 
led the league in sacks. You know, probably he's a finalist for the defensive player of the year. You know, Fred Warner Best is linebacker sensational. In you know, Hofanga, like just it's absolutely insane. Yeah. What, what they have there. So, you know, when I look at the defense here and the matchup, because there's so many, what's great is the fact that these two teams haven't played. Okay. So right. you, there's so many interesting storylines. Two cornerstone moments that that when John Gannon is looking at this Niners offense, one, the acquisition of Christian McCaffrey. Okay. Yep. So since his first start back in week eight, okay, their last loss was the previous week. So the Niners, first of all, you know, haven't lost since McCaffrey has been in the starting lineup. But the Niners offense, Niners overall, first in the league in total DVOA, first in pass DVOA and third in rushing DVOA since Christian McCaffrey came into the starting lineup, okay? McCaffrey has amassed 1,210 yards from scrimmage and 10 total touchdowns. And, of course, it's not just McCaffrey. That's not the only way. It's a pick-your-poison offense, okay, with Debo, IU, Kittle, and the like. But when it comes to McCaffrey specifically, the Eagles must tackle well. They've got to rally to the football. They've got to be physical. The Niners had 3.4 yards after contact per rush this season and 66 runs of 10-plus yards, okay? So that's the first cornerstone moment here. The second is the quarterback when Brock Purdy took over for Jimmy Garoppolo, who, of course, took over for Trey Lance. So this is back in Week 13, okay? Since then, the Niners, with a rookie quarterback, have had the third-best offense in terms of DVOA and the number one Pass offense, mm. not rush offense, right. the number one pass offense. And the two playoff games, Purdy has completed 63% of his passes, 546 yards, three touchdowns, oh, no interceptions yep. for almost a 110 quarterback rating. And he went for over 303 touchdowns in the wild card round alone. So obviously, you're not going to be doing this without a very good offensive line anchored by the all pro Trent Williams. But as Jonathan Gannon shared at his weekly press conference on Tuesday, is Purdy going to be ready for what the link is going to offer? That's a different beast. It's a different animal. Just the mere thought, because Fran, you and I, you know, we were here back in 2017 in the studios. Yes. We were at Novacare. I, you know, there have been very few times where I've been jealous of not being at the stadium on game day during those years when we would be doing the show. You were bringing the juice that day, though. I mean, I remember your energy level uh, that day in the in the uh, in our workspace in the pit. I mean, just one of the most incredible nights. Yes, this period of, of my entire life. You were running down the hallway. Uh, I think it was after the flea flicker to Tori Smith saying, "I'm not going to the senior well, that, bowl." That's right. That's yeah. right. Because that's the thing. Back then, is if they lost, we were going to be on a plane. That's going to be the case this week as well. I will be well, on a plane on well, Monday morning. Yeah. So if, we, if they lose, well, yeah. I will not be going to the senior yes, bowl. Yes, you, you won't be going with me. Yes, way, that's but, right. But I cannot wait to be in the parking lots, yep. to be in the stadium, to see what mm. that crowd is going to be like there. So as poised and as great as Purdy has been, obviously a lot here for Jonathan Gannon to to figure out in terms of how to stop this offense, but also the crowd's got to play. This is why you want a home field advantage for this moment right here. Yeah, I mean, look, you give a lot of credit to the way that Brock Purdy has played, right? And I, I think that there's, um, as is always the case on social media, right, it's either, oh, he's been outstanding or he's overrated and he stinks. No, it's, <laughs> look, you give a lot of credit to the way that he has played, right? Um, he has gone on the road and won. Uh, they had a, a road game win against Seattle. Um, and he's been he's been really, really 
really good. You went through the numbers on Brock Purdy. Uh, that said, uh, look, this is a guy that has played a lot in college. You would think that the moment is not going to be too big for him. He was a, a three or four year starter at Iowa State. Uh, they, you know, they, they played uh, a lot of big games uh, for Matt Campbell out there. So going on the road and winning uh, in Baylor, well, this is not Waco, Texas. No. Uh, this is not Stillwater, Oklahoma, going up against Oklahoma State. Uh, that crowd, that atmosphere, this defense is going to be something that he has not faced uh, up to this point. Obviously, that Cowboys defense was a really good test, and that offense did struggle uh, for a majority of that game. So this will be another big test here for Brock Purdy, no, no doubt. No question. So as we go to number two, we're going to go from the one quarterback to the other here, and certainly not the other because Jalen Hurts, to me, he's going to show why he should be the MVP. And he was named a finalist on Wednesday as we're recording this, but he should be the MVP of the league. Jalen, during the season, 5-0 and against the playoff teams, and then he dusted the Giants yep. in the divisional round. He's 15-1 and as a starter this season. Hertz was the first player in the Super Bowl era to rank in the top five in both passer rating, he was fourth, and rushing touchdowns in the same year. And you wrote a phenomenal piece for our Game Day magazine this week. We'll have the digital version available shortly. If you're in the Philadelphia area, Acme Supermarkets, or if you're at the stadium on Sunday, you can check it out. But you talked about the RPOs and the decision-making, and that's going to be the critical part. That, to me, is going to be the biggest thing here because when you know that they're going to bring pressure. But the thing is, the the Niners aren't going to be blitzing, okay? This is not a blitz-happy defense, okay? 23rd in the league. In terms, according to Pro Football Focus, in terms of blitzing on pass plays this season, this is a week after facing the Giants, who were number one yep. through the regular a little season. Bit different, yes. Okay. The big key here is they are the second highest percentage in terms of stunts. Yes. On pass plays, about a third okay. of the, about a third of the time. Yeah, that's the biggest thing. Okay, so they were second. Cowboys number one. Either way, they were going to be seeing a lot of stunts yes. coming here this Sunday, but. You know, the thing that makes it so difficult is when you're trying to figure out who is coming is when you have a linebacker like Fred Warner who can mug the A-gap and then all of a sudden be running down the seam all the way with CeeDee Lamb. Yep. Okay, so those are going to be the challenges that have to come after them. Going through some some previous games here, I wanted to see, okay, give me an offense that recently had success against the Snyder's defense. And I wanted to look at Jared Stidham, you know, that spot star he had for the Raiders at the end of the regular season. Sure. Okay, did a great job of getting rid of the ball quickly. He was pressured all day long, yep. okay, but did a great job of making quick decisions, getting the ball where it had to, getting the ball into tight windows. And when the opportunities presented themselves, he was able to take advantage, okay? And he also did a good job. They did a good job getting him on the run. I did go back. Storyline, I really wasn't feeling the storyline. Some media people bring it up, but like... The Week 2 game last year. I was actually going to ask you about this earlier because uh, yeah. you mentioned they haven't really faced each other. I was going to see if you if you make anything. But I personally do not. I, I went back to watch it, yep. okay? And it's just, you feel like you're in a different era yeah. almost to some regard. Both teams are so different. Both teams are so different here. And the thing is, okay, back then, it was Jalen's second start with this coaching staff. Yep. Nick Sirianni was coaching, was calling the plays yep. at that standpoint. Okay, Bosa was just coming off the ACL. You know, the, you look at the different personnel, quarterback. Yeah, the, the, no McCaffrey so, for them. It was uh, no AJ Brown. It was, yeah, it was, it's so almost, I don't want to say useless, but it, you don't get a lot out of that for me. You don't. But the one thing I did take away was 
there were some big opportunities that could have been had for the Eagles. There are yep. two that come to mind. One was that near touchdown to Quez Watkins. Sure. It was, yep. nine, I think, 96 yards, one of the longest plays in NFL history to not to, be a touchdown. Yep. They didn't cash it in in the red zone. And I think afterwards. the longest play that ever happened where the drive did not end in a touchdown. This, yeah, all that stuff yep. there. Okay, that was one. Then the other was he. we thought he had a touchdown throw to Jalen Rager early in the game, but Jalen Rager stepped out of bounds right, right. right towards the end of the play and was deemed you know ineligible to catch the ball. But the place was going electric. That would have just completely changed the yep. whole feel, the tone of the game at that standpoint. So for me... You look at Jalen has the experience. He's got the chemistry with the coaches, the receivers. He's got the talent and the intangibles to get the job done here this Sunday. To me, he is going to show whether or not he wins the MVP. We don't know. That's already been voted on and decided and whatnot. You know, those votes are cast, but he'll show why he should be and will be looked at that way moving forward. Yeah, I think, look, this is obviously a huge test for a lot of the reasons you laid out for Jalen. When you look at this defense, we talked about the talent at all three levels, what they do schematically on third down. They do a lot to put a lot of stress on you. Um, Now, that said, he's gone up against some really good third down defenses this year. He's gone up against pressure schemes. He's gone up against high, uh, high volume stunt teams. He's gone up against good defensive lines, good linebackers, good secondaries. And he just uh, he and this offense have consistently found ways to make plays. They're gonna have to do the same thing here in this football game under the lights under a, a big big situation. So while he's not calling the plays anymore, Nick Sirianni, okay, this is showing why he was the right man for the job when pretty much two years ago, almost to the day that he was named the head coach, twenty first head coach in franchise history of the Philadelphia Eagles, and. It was a surprise hire at the time, and now it's two years later. How the hell is he not a candidate or a finalist? Unreal that he is not a finalist. Coach of the year, unbelievable. Okay? I mean, just absolutely absurd. There's a lot of good candidates. Okay, right. we can sort through them. I get them. that. Yep. I get that. Votes are gonna be split, but who won more games? Usually, that's the barometer. Usually, whoever right. has the best record gets it. No one won more games than Sirianni. Okay, and who did it while competing? In the toughest division in the league, right. one that three teams made the playoffs, you know, three made the divisional round, all four teams were 500 or better, okay? Sirianni did that. You look at the over-under, the expectations, because, okay, if you had said, all right, the Eagles are going to be a 13-win team and this is expected, they're one of the league elites, yep. all great. No, the over-under was nine and a half. They, they exceeded that by four and a half games. Again, the largest margin in the NFL the Eagles were the only team to finish in the top three in point differential, total yards differential, sack differential, turnover differential. And they were, in fact, the first team to do it since a team that went undefeated in the regular season, the 2007 Patriots. Mm. Jeffrey Lurie has shown, like, he's perfect five for five in his head coach hires in terms of coaches who, within their first two years, yep. Get 10 wins and get to the playoffs. Yep. Okay? He's done all of them from go back to Ray Rhodes to here with Nick Sirianni. Okay? We talked about this last week, how you were excited to see what the coaching staff would do with the bye week, two weeks to prepare, even though you don't know it's going to be the Giants, but still, you have the two weeks of The self-scouting aspect of things. Self-scouting aspect. I mean, Coach Sirianni was in his bag. Yep. On Saturday night. Okay? There's that meme of him nodding into the camera. all-timer. He knew. He knew that they were on one, okay? And he was pushing all the right buttons. He showed that the Eagles are just punching at a much bigger and better weight class than the Giants are. He's got the talent, and he's maximizing it. And since that 2-5 and five start in 
2021 and talk about you know planting roots and all that stuff. The Eagles are 15 and four. Okay, giving up the play calling as being a better game day manager. And I don't think for once we've ever had to sit here and discuss a questionable timeout situation, clock management situation, anything along those lines. Sirianni has been a phenomenal game manager all throughout this season. And, you know, I just think back to the end of the game. It was on uh, C.J. Gardner-Johnson's IG Live, go inside the locker room, and Nick Sirianni is rocking that Dream Chasers medal. And this team just loves playing for him, Mm. okay? He is so in tune. He's he's so well-connected to this team that, Whatever side of the ball you're on, no matter what you know you are on the depth chart, this is a team that is rallying around the coach. Cannot wait to see that love come to fruition on Sunday. Yeah, I think that you know the more I think about this game, you know, there's there's four different outcomes, right? It's Eagles blowout win, Eagles okay. tight win. 49ers tight win, 49ers blowout win, right? Yeah, so I go into every game thinking like, okay, like how do you kind of split up the different possibilities there? How do you envision this game going? And I, I do tend to think that this will be a tight game either way, right? And then the more I think about that, all right, if it's going to be a tight game, because especially that's how San Francisco wants to play. This is a team that plays at one of the slowest paces in football. They love to be able to run the ball. They play good defense. That's the way they want to play. They want it to be a slugfest, 17-13 type of game. If it's a tight game, even though that's the way San Francisco wants to play, you think about what wins in those tight games. Uh, number one, like situational football, you know, being able to maintain. The Eagles are better when you look at offense versus defense. The Eagles are better on third down. They're better in the red zone on both sides of the football. You then look at uh, players. Hey, you know, if you, whoever has the best talent will typically try and win out on individual plays. And if you want to look at offensive skill talent, it's probably a wash, right, in terms of what the Eagles bring, in terms of what they bring, the 49ers bring. But at quarterback, I'm giving the edge to Jalen Hurts, right? And then you look at coaching decisions and the game management aspect of things. Nick Sirianni's been nearly flawless this year. You know, whether it's going for it on fourth down, uh, you know, the timeout management, the clock management, everything that they've done from that standpoint has been so, so good. And so when you look at some, sum it down to those three topics and you say situational football, game management, and then just, you know, the, the quarterback talent. Like that's the edge to the Eagles, and I, that makes me feel better about this team going into this game, thinking about the, the different possible outcomes. If it's a tight one, I would bet on this Eagles team. You know, I think back to the end of the Dallas San Francisco game last weekend, and you know Dalton Schultz not knowing the rule about you know having to be able to go forward while you're going out of bounds to stop the clock, and then you know being lackadaisical with getting his feet in bounds. It's those are the little things that are going to get so magnified. And we talked about that. This was one of the, the last topics last week. Are yeah. those little decisions are going to be the things that get magnified, the things that you preach all year long. If you allow for it to happen yep. in practice, it's going to show up on game day. Yeah. You know, and coach has been phenomenal in that regard. So, and then you know just. Putting the home field advantage again. Niners have enjoyed the home field these last two playoff games, and certainly an outstanding team. And Kyle Shanahan has had a f- remarkable run, of course. And to get here to have this win streak with your second string, your third string quarterback, it's unreal. Yep, it's absolutely unreal. But to me, this has been the Eagles have been the best team since Week One. You've got the MVP playing at a peak level. Everyone wants to know how is he going to look to get his first playoff win. He checked off all the boxes that he had to. You know, just can't wait to see it all unfold. It is going to be 
such an I mean I feel like electric is you know a uh, hacky term at this point for what the atmosphere is going to be but right. it's going to be absolutely surreal at the link come Sunday at uh, three o'clock it's going to be a big one uh, it's going to be a fun one to break down and you and I will uh, hopefully be breaking down an Eagles win as the Eagles prepare for uh, Super Bowl 57 next week uh, here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast CMAC thanks once again for joining us for three and out let's now get to some chalk talk here with Ben Fennel. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, let's keep the conversation rolling here with this Eagles 49ers NFC title game with Ben Fennel here for Chalk Talk. And Ben, um, this is a fun game, man, because there's so much to chew on. It feels like obviously every step of the playoffs, the teams and the tests get bigger and bigger. Uh, and so there's plenty to talk about from an X's and O's standpoint, especially with these two teams. Yeah, absolutely. I really think it's the four best teams all season in the NFL between the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Eagles, and the Niners. Sorry, Buffalo fans, but anytime you get those four best teams competing on championship weekend, you're getting a lot of good versus good. And the Eagles, obviously, their dominance is going to face uh, some pretty dominant sides of the ball from the Niners, too, and Kyle Shanahan and all those all pros on defense. There's matchups and uh, conversations literally left and right. Yeah, well, let's talk, start with the uh, the 49ers offense going up against this Eagles defense. Um, first off, with the Eagles D, I mean, they just play, you couldn't ask for a more dominant performance than what we saw this past week against the New York Giants in a playoff game. Uh, just unheard of. I thought what they did defensively from a schematic standpoint was excellent. The execution was great, especially on the back end, um, but the front four got after it, another five sacks. It was just an overall really strong performance. Yeah, it was the the prototypical first half that you needed, particularly, you know, how the season kind of ended and then the, the coming off the bye week, really wanted that first quarter and that first half in particular to be sharp. And that means long drives, get points, and prevent long drives and get off the field defensively. I thought they checked all the boxes. And literally that game plan and execution in the first half was flawless, not only from the on-the-field nuts and bolts, but just the feel of the game and the control of the game and the pace of the game and the vibe of the game never got out of control, never had moments of dysfunction or moments of hostility. So I love how clean we played in that first half, and then it was kind of rolling downhill in the second. Yeah, and then I think when you look at um, just what they did against Daniel Jones, you know, you throw the kitchen sink at him, all the variety of coverages, the different pressure looks, the uh, the different sim pressures, right? All the different things you threw at him. I think a lot of that that thought process can carry over when you're going up against a rookie quarterback making, what, his eighth start now uh, in the NFL. That's something that, look, Brock Purdy has played a lot of football. He, played, he was a four-year starter at Iowa State, so he's played a lot. But going up against NFL defenses on the road with what uh, this defense can throw at him from a multiplicity standpoint, that's something I think could play in the Eagles' favor. I think that's the number one difference when watching football from Saturday to Sundays is the coverage disguise and the coverage multiplicity in the NFL. I feel like once you watch Sundays enough, the college coverage schemes get to be very vanilla, very basic. They'll run the same coverages on multiple plays in a row. The NFL, that almost never happens. And everything is so well disguised and so well intended, you know, for lack of better words, and that you're trying to take away a certain aspect of your opponent. So for a young quarterback to come in, that's where kind of, uh, you know, the rubber meets the road right there. And a lot of these young quarterbacks survive these creative looks and survive these defensive schemes by using their legs because of that confusion that's always presented. And it's tough as a rookie, especially against these defenses with veterans and they play very fast. They play very well together. And I thought on uh, Saturday night against the Giants, you saw a variety of schemes, not only, uh, you know, front four and kind of, uh, you know, stunts and twists and things like that out of four and five man fronts, 
but a variety of pressures. You know, whether it was like that zone pressure with Chauncey Gardner and James Bradbury got the interception. Yep. Whether it was a cover zero look, whether it was an overload look where he sent not only Kaiser White, but Marcus Epps as well from one side and dropped out the backside. So there's a lot of things that Jonathan Gannon put on tape for Brock Purdy in that offense to uh, prepare for. And not to mention the stunts up front. Yep. It was just from the four-man rush and Short from the five-man rush. Short stunts, long stunts, TEs, ETs, long stunts. Yeah, a variety of different concepts. Yeah, a lot to think about if you're the 49ers. And so uh, let me ask you this question real quick. Your thoughts overall on what you've seen from Brock Purdy? I guess just studying the tape uh, over the course of his seven-start uh, stretch here, what are your thoughts on, on the rookie? Well, I think uh, you know he's been a system quarterback, and it's an exciting, dangerous system to operate that Kyle Shanahan, uh, you know, constructs and when you have those types of weapons that offensive line it's a nice situation for a quarterback it's very quarterback friendly and I don't say that disparaging to Brock Purdy I say that complimentary to Kyle Shanahan and I want all offenses to be quarterback friendly so I think the defined read game's been exciting I think obviously having those weapons at your disposal and Christian McCaffrey and George Kittle and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and you know x y and z it's a lot of fun to distribute to those guys and let them do the dirty work but we've also seen Brock Purdy create for himself in those late-in-the-down plays. We had mentioned occasionally he gets confused or a read is taken away. doesn't mean the play's over. He can create. He can extend with his legs. He's made some plays not only with his legs extended, but also his arm. As he found you know, George Kittle for a big play last week, wasn't part of the progression. So you're going to get a little bit of that young live wire, a little bit of that young gunslinger with Brock Purdy. Now that's exciting and it can create. And it's also a bit of a live wire, and those situations can be volatile too. Now, Purdy's handled those pretty well, but as we know, rookies, that play can come and go in a flash. That's something I want to get into a little bit later uh, in the segment. I think when you get into those kind of situations, that's where the Eagles can potentially uh, take advantage of Brock Purdy. Uh, you talked about just some of the um, the schematic advantages that San Francisco presents themselves, and what are they? What are the things that put the most stress uh, on opposing defenses? Well, when they line up in that twenty-one personnel offense, and that's something we really wanted to stress with Greg Cosell this week on Eagles game plan. Right? Was uh, they get into that grouping where it's the two stud receivers with Debo and Ayuk? You have George. Kittle out there. You have Kyle Juszczyk and Christian McCaffrey. The stress that that puts on an opposing defense is something we wanted to hit on from both a run game and a pass game. Well, that's a perfect setup, run game and pass game, because Kyle Shanahan, his offense, in in particular, the weapons and personnel, this is a moniker I've been using for about five years now, two-way players. Yep. These are players that excel in not only the run game, but the pass game in a variety of ways. And all those guys, Juszczyk, Kittle, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Debo, We all know what they can provide in both phases of the game. So not only are they productive players and strong players in whatever the tasks are in the run and the pass, where they then line up in the run and the pass makes it one extra caveat into how San Fran deploys those weapons and how interchangeable those guys are. Whether it's obviously Debo and Christian McCaffrey, how they have very similar skill sets. But a guy like Kyle Juszczyk, he's a fullback. Go look at the tweet where I put up his heat map from the year where he lines up all over the formation. And at any point he's in the backfield, well, he could be out wide. He could be in a tight end spot. And the same thing for George Kittle. George Kittle could be in the backfield as a fullback. He could be out wide. He could be in line. We know he's a great blocker. Oh, yeah, all these guys are pass game weapons too. It's a really, really tough set of personnel and the deployment in which they 
um, are used, it's really tough to match up. And again, it goes back to something we talked about with the, the matchup against Taysom Hill and the New Orleans Saints, right? Is that what that does from a defensive standpoint, you're going in against an offense like this and you say, okay, here are all the different personnel groupings they use. And these are, these are the types of plays they run from those groupings, right? So, all right, well, uh, if Christian McCaffrey's out there with, uh, with use check with these two receivers, it's 21 personnel. All right. If this, if these guys are typical kinds of players, these are the this is the, the the index card worth of plays that you could expect. But when you've got that group of five, well now everybody can do a little bit of everything, which means that the entire playbook is open. Which means now if you are TJ Edwards, if you're Marcus Epps, if you're uh, Kaiser White, if you're CJ Gardner Johnson, it's not as simple as okay, here's the down and distance, here's the personnel grouping, here's the list of plays. No, the entire thing is open, and so mentally there's a lot of stress on you. And then from a personnel standpoint, how are you going to match up to, to this? Because if you're the Eagles, um, you have not seen a lot of 21 personnel this season. You certainly haven't seen a 21 personnel grouping as effective is this one. They are willing to run the football. They will continue to run the football, but they can also stress you out because of how all five guys can be really capable receivers, can run the full route tree, and can do so much. So you could put Christian McCaffrey in the slot, and it's not just, oh yeah, he's going to run a fade, or he's going to run a stick, or he's just going to run a bubble. No, he can run slants. He can run a post route. He can run a, a corner route, right? All these different things that you say, okay, the whole route tree is available. That makes it very, very stressful. And those personnel packages are very much designed to force you into uh, different ways to play them. So 21 personnel that you check on the field very often gets met with base defense. Well, the Niners 21 personnel isn't this 1996 I form back with William Henderson and Dorsey Levins back there, and it's, you know, smash mouth football. They still speed on the field with 21 personnel. Yep. So if you dare go base, okay, we can spread you out and the snap of a finger and have a speed advantage. So then you want to, you know, play smaller guys and try to match up and stay fast. Well, Kyle, you check and George Kittle can block your nickel right off the field. Right. So then there's a vulnerability there. So the cat and mouse of personnel groups, matching up against what the Niners deploy. I mean, that's really the whole inside baseball in this chess match. What's your guess on on how the Eagles play it? Do you do you think that they go with their base defense and it's a, that 5-2 front? Do you think that it's going to be a, a, their their nickel personnel where it's four down? Do you think it's going to be a 5-1-5? Or uh, it's a, yeah, they, I think it's going to be more of the 5-1-5. I think it. you need to plug up some gaps up front. So you get the nose tackle on the field. It's the Linval and Jordan Davis. Yep, stay in nickel so, yep. so that you keep speed but it's much more of a back-end, front-line thing. And we may see that could mean Kaiser White's in that Sam roll off the line of scrimmage. It could be a bare front with two outside linebackers like a Hassan Reddick and a Josh Sweat out there. So, And I don't think it's going to be any one thing, and I think that's really important as well. But I think mixing up the looks, mixing up the fronts, while staying athletic. So that's a combination of staying athletic and sub, but staying beefed up on the offensive line. Yeah, it's going to be uh, really interesting, and we'll get a sense of that early on in this football game. Is exactly how the Eagles are going to try and approach this. Um, we know, you know, the, the run game that they run there uh, in San Francisco. We, we know if in uh, you know historically, it's been a lot of the zone stretch from the gun. It's been a little bit more. They've been mixing things up over the years, so it's not just outside zone, outside zone, outside zone. But uh, you got to be ready for anything, and certainly Christian McCaffrey capable of uh, of handling anything from a run game standpoint. Real quickly though, uh, Elijah Mitchell, I want to give him some love. Uh, this is a guy that also runs the ball really well. Um, um, you know, he was, I mean, look, he was slated to be their starting running back, got hurt early on. Uh, then they go and they trade for McCaffrey. There was a deal that, that obviously has taken their offense to a new level. Um, but Elijah Mitchell, good player. No question. And go watch their four minute offense last week against the, the Cowboys in critical time when those defenders are giving some extra shots, some extra punches, some extra ripouts in the critical situation late in the fourth quarter. 
Well, I think C-Mac was banged up a little bit. There's Elijah Mitchell, a lot of those carries late down the stretch for the Niners. This is a guy that's played in some big moments. They have tons of confidence in, and he's a really productive running back. I know a little unfortunate he went out of bounds there, you know, yep. uh, and you know, stopped the clock there. But he's a guy they very much trust, and there is no expectation lapse when he goes in the, into the game. So I know it's a lot of Christian McCaffrey. It's a lot of Debo. But when you see Elijah Mitchell, number 25 back there, stay on your P's and Q's because he's been productive in this league. Other side of the football, uh, we got to talk about the matchups in the trenches there, and certainly Nick Bosa is a guy you have to worry about. The NFL sack leader, um, the the the, the, uh, the 49ers were middle of the pack in terms of sack production this year, but Bosa as an individual, you have to be ready for. Oh, he's a nightmare. You know, he obviously is a one of the elite pass rushers. Great first step, great flexibility, great bend, great hand usage, great effort, great hustle. I mean, he's a handful. He's a guy you need to understand where he's lining up on every down and have a game plan for him and make sure he's always a accounted for and maybe he's always sending to his way whether that's chippers whether that's slide protection whether that's offensive concepts away from Nick Bosa and the way you defend Nick Bosa could then give opportunities to other guys we've seen guys like Charles Amenahu with 50 plus pressures this year Sansom Ekabon big play last week so even though you give attention to Bosa and Arik Armstead could come from the other side, you know, so that's what makes that Niners front so dangerous. Yeah, Omena, who uh, we'll see what his status is uh, for this game. I, I think the big thing in talking about the Nick Bosa matchup, I think a lot of people will say, oh, well, the majority of his snaps have come against the right tackle, so the matchup is he and Lane Johnson. Look, they move Bosa around, and I think against most offensive lines, you would say, the, the, oh, you want to match him up against the right tackle instead of the left tackle. Uh, Lane Johnson is not your everyday right tackle, and right. so my guess <laughs> is they're not going to like willingly say, oh, let's put Bosa on their best offensive line and time and time again, I do think you'll see plenty of Bosa against Jordan Mailata. Um, you know, and look, those guys went up against each other a lot in that Week Two matchup last season, uh, and I thought Jordan fared really, really well. Do keep in mind that Bosa was fresh off that ACL rehab, right. uh, so he was not quite uh, up to himself at that point. But that's still going to be a really big matchup to watch and one that could tilt the the favor of this game. No, no question. But you know, I think the Eagles have two pretty, uh, you know. Credible tackles, tackles yes. and on either side, so I think they're going to have their hands full. I expect Nick Bosa to get his. He's an all-pro player, and I expect our tackles to uh, to lock him up every now and then. It's just those critical plays, the plays that Nick Bosa does get home. How impactful are those? How critical of a situation was it? Was it a third down or a first down? Was it third down in the red zone, or was it a drive starter? Mm. Was it a sack fumble or just a one-yard loss? Yep. So what happens within those plays when Nick Bosa gets home? Because he's Nick Bosa. He's going to impact the game. But don't let that impact ruin the game. What stands out most to you about this defense when you watch them? Obviously, you know the, you and I want to look at like their their identity and get a sense of what is it that they bring to the table, both on regular downs uh, and on third down as well. We hyper focused in on third down with that segment and Greg Cosell uh, in the enemy intel segment on game plan this week. But I want to get your thoughts just on this defense as a whole. You know, we talk about cohesion, communication, guys playing together, defenses and coverages playing on a string. But when you watch them, you just cannot take away from their anticipation of what offenses are trying to do to attack them. And that starts with Fred Warner, but Dre Greenlaw is not far off. Yep. And the way they anticipate offensive concepts, and please just watch the All-22 copy of that Cowboys game. Watch them sniffing out all the dagger concepts, the over routes, um, the three-level stretches, the CD Lamb, just the understanding where that route was coming and being there a step before was really, really impressive. And you just see that week in, week out, their understanding of their landmarks and how offensive want to attack them. You know, we all saw the Fred Warner play of mugging the A-gap and then player. running the deep seam against yep. CeeDee Lamb. That was like one of 10 
that were just as impressive. So um, what they do to anticipate how offenses attack them, we've talked about it before, put on any game last week in particular. And that's the thing is that often on third down, you will see those linebackers mugged up on the line of scrimmage, Warner and Greenlaw, and sometimes they're coming. You know, the, yep. the Warner uh, will be used in a lot of those stunt packages, a lot of those pressure looks, same with Greenlaw, but you'll also use them buzzed out, getting into the flat, or dropping as like middle hook players or middle zone players, and now all of a sudden, uh, you know, what you got pre-snap is a little bit different than what you get post-snap, and, and their range, their instincts and coverage, their route awareness in both man and zone just stay Stands out time and time again, not just with those two guys, but also with Hufanga. A big reason why he's always around the football. Yep. He has an understanding of what offenses are trying to do, trying to do to him. So that's the big test for Jalen Hurts: is make sure you're the void you think you have. Make sure it's actually a void before you cut that. And football it's very loose. rare to call them a fast flow group because when they see it, they go. They right. play very fast, but they recover so well yeah. too. So it's not just that you can move Fred Warner and then hit something behind him. He knows you're moving him. He knows where you're then trying to attack. Yep. So then his recovery is just so much faster than what you see around the league. So while it's a fast flow defense, and in my brain, I'm just thinking about all these misdirection concepts and quick hitting misdirection. Yep. Well, they know exactly you're trying to get them to take a step one way. Well, they're going to make up that ground on the backside uh, you know, before you know it. Uh, one item we wanted to make sure we drove home an Eagles game plan, I thought Mike Quick did a great job with it, <clears throat> was really just expressing the, the need to start fast on offense again for this Eagles team going up against the 49ers. They, look, they're, they're going to continue to run the football, whether if it's a one-score game, even a two-score game, but if you're able to jump out fast, that might make them a little bit more worrisome in terms of just of being able to stick with that run game, force them into more of a drop-back element. It's something the Eagles have done a really good job of. We talked about the second-quarter stats and what they've done. Uh, they'd like to jump on teams in the first half. We saw that last week. Uh, four, four of their first five drives go for touchdowns. Second play of the game, first pass attempt for Jalen Hurts is a play-action deep shot to Devontae Smith. You want to try and continue that theme against this defense if you can. You know, that's one of those concepts and philosophies that sound really good. I think everybody wants to start fast, start efficient, score points, have big plays early in the game, be aggressive. Because when that works... The vibes, the mood, the momentum, it really starts to build and it gets on your opponent early. My philosophy has always been I'm a jabber to start. Mm. I like slowly working you and beating you up slowly and a 12-play drive going 80 yards. I find just as debilitating as a 40-yarder on the second play. So I think there's obviously different philosophies and... You know, obviously the Eagles can play both ways, and we've seen it yes. both ways. We've seen those long 15-play drives where that defense has hands on the hips with five minutes left in the first quarter, and yep. you kind of know you're working that opponent down the field early, and it's going to be a long day. Yep. Well, that Giants game, you already you know started attacking them down the field early in the game. So they had a kind of a back-breaking tone, but in a different way. So I just love that they can play both sides of that philosophy. I also like taking some shots early on just backs up the defense right. a little bit. Yep. Makes that safety, it up a little makes bit. those safety say, oh, they will throw vertically on us. We do need to be aware of those verticals. We can't just key the run or play downhill or have our cleats in the ground ready to, to pounce forward. So I like backing up those defenses too. But I want to punch you right off the field. I want to jab you off the field. I want to be physical off the field too. So having different ways and different philosophies to start games is important. I like the Eagles uh, have shown they can do both. And that's the thing is that I thought Mike said that in the show as well, where, you know, he said, look, there are a lot of different ways to be aggressive. Yeah, you can go bombs away down the field yep. and attack vertically, but tempo, another thing that the Eagles do really, really well yeah. is that, you know, they get you, they, they move the chains. All of a sudden now it's tempo. We're going to go RPO. We're going to go tempo again, and we're going to keep it rolling. We're going to start spamming plays. And we've seen them string those drives together. And it's, that's something to keep an eye on here. Uh, and, you know, we called fast start. Let's just call it an efficient start. Right. Because yep. when you're efficient, 
and you're getting four yards a pop and you're completing passes and you're playing clean. Just don't go three and out. Things feel yeah, faster. Right. No yes. question. Yeah, yes. no, that's, that's essentially what we're talking about. Yes. If you don't, don't, <laughs> don't, don't, uh, don't go three and out to start this and game. And one last thing with that Giants game, that three and out, the defense force coming at a halftime. Right. As big as anything they did sure. in that first half. Because now you're like, oh, here we go again. No question. you know, And that's that really can set the tone for that second half identity. And if the Giants had a chance or not. That three and out right out of half, that was the whoopee cushion, you know, air kind of going out of them. Uh, I know you've pulled a lot of numbers. We've both been, like, diving through the stats here. Again, just a really fun game to break down from that standpoint. Uh, Was there a number or two that stands out most to you from your research this week? Yeah, there's a bunch of interesting things, particularly on the defensive side. Both these teams, the Niners, the Eagles, excellent at defending the middle of the field. We had just talked about Warner and Greenlaw and their anticipation for routes over the middle of the field whether it's against tight ends or even slot receivers like C.D. Lamb, just exceptional. But the Eagles are right there with them. So when we look at coverage over the middle of the field, so that middle third of the field, completion percentage, 49ers are second in the NFL. Eagles are third in the NFL, right around 63%. QB rating, Niners are second. Eagles are fourth. So as much as we credit the Fred Warners and Dre Greenlaws, don't forget about T.J. Edwards and Kaiser White either. I think all season long, Uh, These linebacking groups on both sides have really excellent. Obviously, they have some good nickels and safeties as well around them that help contribute and help them all play on strings. Everything we had mentioned about Warner and Greenlaw taking away the middle. I mean, watch one of your clips from this past week of all the different pass-offs and uh, coverage assignments um, from us against the Giants, whether it's, you know, Reed Blankenship and C.J. Gardner-Johnson and uh, all those guys. But uh, one last snapshot of this linebacking group. Fred Warner, third round pick. Yep. Great, uh, Drake Greenlaw, fifth, fifth rounder, round. Right, Kaiser, yep. round four. Yep. TJ Edwards, undrafted. undrafted. I love that you can find high level talent, particularly linebacking late in the draft, maybe even after the draft, yep. like a TJ Edwards. Why is that, Fran? Mm. Why, why is it that some what of these. What are you prioritizing there? No question. And I think sometimes that translation from your Saturday film to Sunday. It's a little bit disconnected. Yep. And I think sometimes evaluators and scouts don't always have the seamless translation of what you can do from Saturdays to Sundays. And it's a little bit of learn on the job. Once you get Fred Warner in your building, you realize what he can do and can't do. Uh, to me, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the, the defending the middle of the field because I feel like that's an easy thing that people kind of lean into is you know the play that the Eagles get on the outside from Slay and from Bradbury and say, oh, well, if you're going to attack the Eagles, you got to attack the middle of the field. And we don't give that group enough credit with uh, what they bring in terms of um, you know the, being able to cover the middle. And you, you mentioned the numbers and when they're targeted, the, the completion percentage, one of the best in the league, uh, the QB rating, one of the best in the league. And obviously they've created interceptions in that area, right? So that, that can fluff up numbers. But even from a raw completion percentage, like you mentioned, that always helps. But, but that also does not factor in the stuff that they do on those sacks, right? Like yep. where that that's great coverage in the middle of the field that led to the defensive line being able to get home. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, for me, I want to kind of piggyback off something that you did. It was one of the first things you did on Monday was, all right, well, what is it that Brock Purdy does that's different than the the rest of the Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks during this uh, uh, this hot stretch here for San Francisco the last three, four, five years? Um, and one thing that really stood out to you was how long he's holding, or how often he's holding the ball more than four seconds. It was like more than double of the next uh, highest quarterback in that tree. And I think that that was a really notable stat to look at. I said, all right, well, when that happens, 
what happens to Purdy. And his uh, QB rating drops by like 30 points. His completion percentage dropped by like 20 plus points. That's where I think you can create some of those big plays. Now, he hasn't been, it's, it hasn't resulted in a ton of sacks. It hasn't resulted in, in a lot of interceptions. He's been pretty good at taking care of the football. Yep. But that's the area where you say, okay, how do you create some chaos there? Some of those plays worked out really well. You mentioned that George Kittle throw uh, that was a second reaction play rolling to his left. But I think when you, you kind of look at it big picture, that's where the Eagles can kind of make some hay and create some negative plays. Yeah, I just love looking at the identity differences in the quarterbacks. I think it was after that Cardinals game, uh, one of Purdy's first games. He had a bunch of 20-yard throws deep and outside, and it was already as many of those throws that Jimmy yep. G had tried in like a year. Yep. So I just like seeing what the difference in style is. So we obviously per- see Purdy extending plays. I just like seeing it visualized with the analytics that Next Gen provides, which they do quarterback tendencies. So I just sorted quarterback tendencies, Niners quarterbacks over the last few years, and just went up and down the rows to see where Purdy was different. And mm. there's all sorts of metrics like time to throw, holding the ball, where you're throwing, what quadrants, short, medium, long, rhythm throws, play action. And I just was kind of uh, taking a poll on what was different. And the over four-second passing from Brock Purdy was almost double any other quarterback in yep. the uh, Shanahan era, for lack of better words. That's the the Mullins, the Bethards, the Jimmy G's, X, Y, and Z. Sure. So that's just what Purdy's bringing differently. So he's going to push it a little bit more down the field aggressively. And he's going to extend plays. And I think Eagles defenders are going to be aware of that. And they can't just defend for two and a half, three seconds. It may dip into the five, six seconds at times. Well, it's going to be a big part of this game. And again, when you get into these playoff games, it's those those individual moments. You don't know when they're going to happen. It might be third and 10. It might be second and 12. It might be uh, second and four. Whatever it is that you get that one pressure and that turns into a big play, and that can turn a game uh, on its head. So uh, going to be interesting to watch here. We'll break it down next week, Ben, uh, you and I right here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. But you and I have some more work to do as well over on the Journey to the Draft podcast. The Eagles right now have the 10th overall pick, uh, plus their own first-round pick. So if you want to get a sense of who the top players are, the Senior Bowl kicks off next week. The Shrine Bowl, those practices start this weekend. So we're going to be covering a lot of that coming up on the Journey to the Draft podcast, wherever podcasts can be found. What's this matchup look like from the other side? It's time to find out in Faux Focus. Well, excited to welcome here to Faux Focus for the very first time, a guy who covers the 49ers, uh, as well as anybody that I've seen in terms of social media. Uh, you can check out his YouTube page. You can follow him on Twitter, at Vish Kumaran. Vish, thanks so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much for having me, Fran. Um, I've been a big fan of you for a long time, so it's really an honor to come on with you. No, I appreciate it, man. And look, uh, like I said, you do a great job uh, of breaking down this 49ers team from a lot of different angles. You get great interviews with players, uh, with other analysts, and, and break, looking, at, looking at this team from an X and O standpoint. Uh, I want to kind of pick your brain on what you see from this team from a schematic angle going into this matchup against the Eagles. And uh, I guess we'll ask you first, the first question I always ask uh, in this segment, I'm going to ask you to put on your offensive coordinator hat on. So you're going to pretend you're Kyle Shanahan, the offensive coordinator here. What is it that gives you the most confidence going into this game? Well, what, what, do you, what do you think gives you the most juice to be able to go into Lincoln Financial Field on Sunday and come out with a win? It's got to be the 49ers' weapons, right? I mean, you look at this Eagles defense, you look at the pass rush, you look at the number of players that have 10-plus sacks between Reddick and Josh Sweat and Brandon Graham. There's so many good players on that defensive line. 
it definitely makes you nervous from any standpoint when you look at a football game and you see a defensive line that dominant. But the 49ers, what makes their offense unique is their versatility and multiplicity out of 21 personnel, right? They have those five weapons that can do just about anything. And Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, Kyle Juszczyk, um, George Kittle, and of course, the new guy they traded for, Christian McCaffrey. And um, I think the best way I can describe the Niners offense is just Shanahan's ability to do so many of the same things out of 21 personnel, but just dress it up differently. And I thought there was actually a really, really good breakdown of this. Um, it's better than me talking about it. So I would encourage everybody to go watch it. Kurt Warner did a really nice breakdown of the Niners running a concept out of four strong, right? They run this concept out of four strong. They run it just about every game. They've run it for years. There's a bubble. Um, they have some sort of backside isolated route that's in breaking. And then you have a corner and um, a hitch. And for any Niners fans watching, that's the play George Kittle scored the long touchdown against Seattle um, in the second time they played them on right. Thursday night football. Um, and so they run this play a whole bunch, and he just showed the different ways they can dress it up. And to me, that's the strength of the 49ers offense. The fact that they can do a lot of the same run concepts and the same pass concepts um, from the same formation, but with their personnel doing different things. And I think that is going to be the one thing that I'm looking forward to. And then the other thing I, I would say just to add on to it is um, I do think if there's one thing I've seen with the Eagles defense is they've had some issues tackling at times. And the thing about the 49ers offense is every one of those players is exceptional with the ball in their hands. They're very yeah. tough to bring down and they run with great urgency and intent. Um, and I, I think that getting the ball into their hands, getting the ball to them on the perimeter, and the fact that you can dress it up in different ways and provide some confusion is the biggest strength that I think Kyle Shanahan will look to utilize. Yeah, certainly one of the best yak teams in football, the San Francisco 49ers. And we've talked about uh, over the course of the week the, the, the damage that they can do both running the ball and throwing the football out of that 21 personnel package, um, that concept that you broke down in terms of that four strong. And that's the thing is that you know, the Eagles are a zone-heavy team. When you start getting into some of these four-by-one formations, into those four strong sets, you know that, that stresses your rules, right? And so your team's right. going to have checks based off of that. And if, you, if they know what your check is, well, now you know what I know, which you know what right. I know. And now that, that, that's where the chess match uh, kind of progresses, right? And so it's going to be a lot of fun to see that kind of unfold in real time, certainly on Sunday. But then going back and watching it uh, later is going to be really, really interesting. I wanted to ask you real quick, just talking about from an, uh, from an offensive standpoint, you know, we've talked about George Kittle. We know, you know the, the, what he brings to the table. Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk, right? Uh, the development of Brandon Ayuk, I think, is an undersold topic going into this game because you know the Eagles saw him uh, each of the last two years. He had a big play, that freak show uh, yards after catch, where he yeah. hurdled a defender along the sideline as a rookie uh, down in uh, in San Francisco. Um, yeah, this is a guy that has really come along over these last couple of years and has been one of the best players in football at his position this season. Uh, what are your thoughts on his development and, and what is he going to bring to the table that Eagles fans maybe don't expect going into this matchup? Yeah, his development has been, I think, the most important thing to the evolution of this offense um, because, you know, the one thing that this offense has always lacked is maybe a guy that, you know, everybody is scared of covering in man-to-man -man coverage. And now Brandon Ayuk has provided that, and it's changed just a little bit of stress on how teams can defend them in the pass game because you have to worry about Brandon Ayuk. Um, and having this receiver that can win in isolation and can win in the backside is such an important thing i think for any offense and he has become that player but i actually think his route running his yards after the catch like we can go on and on and talk about it i think the best thing he does is block he is a terrific blocker he seals the edge really really well he does a great job cutting off defensive ends he's a tenacious blocker he's really physical on the edge 
And the fact that he does the dirty work and he does it at such a high level, this multiplicity that I just talked about, that's Kyle Shanahan's biggest advantage. Part of it is not just McCaffrey and Yushik and Kittle can run routes like wide receivers. It's that Ayuk blocks and is willing to do the dirty work like them. He is truly a complete football player. I think that within this offense, just the way they structured it and how Debo Samuel Christian McCaffrey centric they are, he sometimes gets lost in the sauce in terms of targets and the way the ball gets distributed to him. But he, to me, was their best offensive player this year, top to bottom. Debo dealt with injuries. Christian McCaffrey dealt with injuries. George Kittle dealt with injuries. But Ayuk from week one to week 18 of this season was consistent and he played terrific all year. Yeah, obviously all those guys can create a big play at the drop of a hat. You know, we've seen, we saw the Debo uh, 70, what was a 70 yard touchdown uh, against Seattle in the wild card round. We know George Kittle can create a big play, Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, Brandon Ayuk with the ball in his hands or over the top uh, has that explosive potential as well, obviously. Um, Let's go over to the other side of the football. Uh, The former Eagles linebacker, D'Amico Ryan's the defensive coordinator. You're D'Amico here. What's your biggest strength? What gives you the most confidence in your ability to win this game? It's it's not a lot, right? I mean, this offense is really multiple. Just defending that RPO game and the zone read, just the way they combine both of those things, right? Like they have the RPO game, but now they or they have the zone read, and now they've built in RPOs based on the zone read. So they put if you scrape exchange, they put the exchange defender in conflict by running some sort of flat with their tight end to Goddard and stuff, where he's either got to take Hertz or he's got to take the tight end, and it's going to be a positive game. So doing stuff like that, the Eagles offense just puts you in so much conflict and that horizontal pass game the screen game is so good so like it is hard I if I'm the Niners defense though even the defensive line right what's been their strength what they can look at this game the Eagles offensive line is as good as anything they've faced and so even that I, I don't know if they Niners defensive line necessarily has a massive advantage to me the advantage is the speed of their linebackers hmm. that's going to be something unlike anything the Eagles have seen I think not just their linebackers' ability to cover, because we've seen that, right? That's the big thing this week, because everybody's seen the Tampa right. Creeper play from Fred Warner, where he runs down C.D. Lamb. I mean, there's like 10 more examples I can give you every game yep. of him doing stuff like that, but this is the week we decided to make it popular. Um, but it's really going to be their speed in terms of the way they um, fill and replace in the run game. And I think that that's going to be a little bit different because the Niners DBs also fill and replace very, very quickly and very aggressively. And it starts with Jimmy Ward, their nickel. He's really, really, really good in both the run and the pass game. And so I I think that their speed kind of on the second level between Warner, um, Greenlaw, Alshair, and then I would throw Jimmy Ward in there too, right? Because, I mean, oftentimes he's accounting for a gap like a linebacker when they're in nickel. And so because of that, I I think that that's the one advantage I would look at the Niners defense having because those linebackers are going to cause problems. But, yeah, if if I'm being honest, in a lot of ways I look at this as a bad matchup on offense for the Niners because they haven't dealt with the mobile quarterback really in Hurts. They didn't play Kyler this year. They only had to deal with Justin Fields. You know, the Niners like to spread their defensive line apart. They like to create large gaps between their defensive line to give one-on-one matchups for the Boses and the Armsteads, and they can wreck the game. But now this also creates running lanes for Hurts to escape Mm. out of, which to me is, again, another problem. Then the Niners like to play match quarters coverage a lot. It's it's their bread and butter. Playing match coverage against Hurts, again, if you're looking at receivers, Hurts' running puts you in a problem. And then the last thing is the Niners do a great job of taking away the middle of the field. And they like to play off coverage with their corners and play match quarters, right? But Hertz throws the ball outside the numbers 
like better. He's really good at throwing sail routes and outs and fades and go balls, which kind of lives in what the Eagles do, right, to take advantage of those Niners corners with A.J. Brown and um, Devontae Smith. So in a lot of ways, you know, like you asked me this question about confidence with D'Amico Ryans. It's there because this defense has been so good, but I actually think when you look at, you know, how these two teams match up in a lot of ways, the Eagles' offense is favored. Well, I, I'm glad that you wrapped up talk, just talking about, like, the outside thirds uh, for the for the uh, 49ers because, obviously, we all know, and, you know, Ben talked about it earlier, you just brought it up, how strong they are up the middle and, you know, dealing with Fred Warner and Hufanga, everybody working uh, in between the hashes there for that defense. So I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, on the secondary on the outside, talking about the cornerback play. Obviously, there have been injuries there. You know, Noah Emmanuel Mosley, uh, Jason Ferret, unfortunately hurt again. But um, you get the, the free agent addition in Charvarius Ward. You get the second-year corner in Diamondor. Lenore uh what are your thoughts on those two guys obviously Ward has been counted on to be more of that kind of travel player for them um and Lenore now in his second year coming off the bench and now playing quality snaps for them so this is actually a really interesting conversation right because Ward is the guy who's had the terrific year and Lenore is the guy who had to replace Emmanuel Mosley who's playing very well and he's played well but if there's a guy in this secondary that you say I want to go at him you would probably on paper pick Lenore and then in the playoffs Ward has had a little bit of struggles. He had yep. some tough times with DK Metcalf. Um, and Lenore has played really, really well. He Now he had the one play where CeeDee Lamb beat him, and then he also interfered with CeeDee Lamb, and CeeDee Lamb still made the catch. But he's had a couple of interceptions. He's played really well. Um, I think the interesting thing is, so they've traveled with Ward before, right? Like when yep. they play... Um, for example, the Seahawks, they've had Ward follow DK Metcalf. And you would think A.J. Brown, like... Charverius Ward, that's kind of the matchup with the receivers. He's physical, he's a good press corner. That's the kind of receiver that you want to get in his face and play physical. The thing is, and there's a really great great quote from Jimmy Ward, who the 40, who's the 49ers nickel, um, and he talks about Lenore coming along in the playoffs and how important it's been for Lenore to just play one side of the field and have Ward play one side of the field. <laughs> and so that's where I think you have this little bit game of cat and mouse, because the Niners can't play off coverage against these two receivers the way they did versus Dallas, for example. They're going to have to challenge these receivers at the line. If you give, you know, A.J. Brown free release slants and free access outs and stuff like that, it's really going to be game over. He's going to catch 10 passes for 125 yards and a touchdown, and you're going to be shaking their hands in the middle of the field and being like, we couldn't stop A.J. Brown. So they're going to have to challenge them at the line of scrimmage, and you would think that's going to be Ward's matchup. But then there's this detail where, hey, my other corner has played very, very well when we've kept both these corners on one side of the field. But how much do you trust Lenore if he's going to have to press and deal with A.J. Brown for X amount of snaps in a game? So that's to me, it's I wish I had a better answer for you because we're going to find that answer out on Sunday and I don't know it. But I think that's a detail that's very important in this because... Ideally, you want to move the star corner around, but the other corner plays better when they play to one side. Yeah, and that's the, you know, you're always, we talk about that with like versatile playmakers, right? It's like, okay, it's great that if you have one guy that's versatile and can move around, but that still requires everybody else to be able to account for that as well. Um, And that's why, like, when you throw in Christian McCaffrey into the mix offensively, again, just kind of switching sides of the ball, uh, that is different. That 21 personnel package is different with McCaffrey than it is with Elijah Mitchell because what McCaffrey can do moved around is different than when Mitchell can go around. It takes you to that next level. So it's the same thing over on the other side of the football when you start getting into those positions. 
positionless debates and those positionless discussions. But um, one more question I've got for you just from a, a pure X and O standpoint. Uh, I'll ask you to once again put on your Kyle Shanahan uh, hat on, but this time more as the head coach looking at this game, you know, broad strokes. What's your biggest concern going into the matchup? Is it something you've already hit on or is there something else bigger on your weighing on your mind? Yeah, it's that exact thing for me with the Eagles offense, right? The zone read RPO game. Um, to me, the Eagles offense, when I watch them, it's like when they just decide that they want to run the ball on teams, like it's unstoppable. No, Nobody can stop them. Just the combination of Hurts, the way they block, um, the running backs, the way they scheme it up, it's, it's unstoppable. And the Niners have a top run defense, right? They've allowed 77 yards a game. Like on paper, this is a good matchup. But then, you know, the Niners, I guess the one other mobile quarterback, they played Mariota. Now they had an injured defensive line, but yeah. that offensive line and run game did give the Niners problems. Now, Eric Armstead didn't, and Javon Kinlaw didn't play in that game versus Atlanta, which is important. So they will make a difference. But, of course, Philadelphia hurts is much better runner than Mariota, and the offensive line is even better than Atlanta's offensive line, who's good. So it's going to be all. It's going to be exactly that, and it's going to be how can I get to the get the Eagles to third and long. To me, that's going to be where this game is played because I think that in a lot of ways the Eagles defense will make some plays, but I also think the 49ers offense against that Eagles defense is going to be able to create opportunities to make plays. I don't know if they're going to stifle them the way Dallas did, but. I don't know if the 49ers offense can necessarily win a shootout with the Eagles Eagles offense. And so you're going to have to find a way to get stops. And no matter how good your defense is, if this offense is able to live in first and second down and third and short, they're impossible to stop because the run pass element, the RPO element, it's unstoppable right now. Uh, in your mind, real quick, before I get to this last question, Vish, uh, the run defense by pretty much every metric has been really strong for San Francisco right. all year round, right? But what what is it that makes that run defense so good? Is it strictly personnel-based? Is there something uh, schematically that gives them an edge? What What is it in your mind that really uh, brings that to the forefront? Yeah, it's the personnel, right? The personnel is so good. Um, the front seven is dominant. You have Eric Armstead, who to me is probably the most underrated player in this game. Um, I think he's, I don't know if he's as good as some of the defensive tackles in Philly. I mean, Hargrave's a hell of a player. Cox is fantastic, but he's a high level defensive tackle too. Yep. And I think the way he's able to eat double teams, the way he's sometimes able to shoot backside and be right and make the tackle in the back, um, backfield, um, the way he's able to line up in different spots, right? You can line him up like as a true five technique. You can line him up as a true three technique. You can play him as a two eye, a three eye. Like you can do so many different things with him on the line. I think his versatility allows them to do different kinds of things. And then it's just the aggressiveness that they attack the run game with. I think it's also a mentality, right? Because their defensive backs come in, they fill, they replace, they're aggressive. I think that it's a mentality of their team. They want to stop the run because when they stop the run, they're rewarded by rushing the passer, which is what they do best. Last question for you here, Vish. Uh, most pivotal matchup for Sunday's game in your mind? What's the one that could really tilt this game one way or the other? Yeah, um, there's a bunch, right? There's a <laughs> whole bunch. But to me, it's going to come down to how the Niners corners deal with the Eagles receivers. Mm. Those two receivers, it's just... That it's just such an interesting matchup, right? I can't keep I can't talk about it enough. The fact that the Eagles have this advantage, because as good as the Niners are gonna be taking away the middle of the field, the Eagles don't necessarily wanna just keep throwing over the middle of the field. They're comfortable with Hertz throwing a lot of sails and outs and you know fades, because he throws all of those balls extremely well. And so that's where it's gonna be a different kind of matchup for the Niners corners. They're gonna be challenged because I think they're gonna have to press him. 
in this game. They can't be giving Devontae Smith and um, A.J. Brown free access and space because they'll just eat up that space and, you know, catch a 10-yard hitch. It'll be first down. Catch a 10-yard out, first down. So they'll just keep moving the chains that way, and they're comfortable doing that. And so from that standpoint, it's there's going to be a challenge on the Niners' corners. They're going to have to press them, and we'll see how they do when they do that. Uh, whether if you're an Eagles fan, 49ers fan, listen to this podcast and you want to get some extra insight uh, into this game, go check out Vish Kumaran's uh, YouTube page. You can follow him on Twitter, again, at Vish Kumaran. Vish, thanks so much for joining us here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, and we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for having me, friend, and good luck on Sunday. <laughs> Well, great stuff there from Vish. Again, make sure you follow him on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, we talked earlier about our Eagles game plan episode. Well, uh, as always, I've got some extras here, some stuff from the cutting room floor. Analysis here from John Clark, Ike Reese, Mike Quick, Greg Cosell. Due to time constraints, couldn't squeeze it all in, uh, but I kept it all here for you. Here are some of our Eagles game plan extra analysis. So what you see with the Niners is you see 21 personnel. You see multiple formations. All five eligible receivers can line up anywhere and can catch the ball effectively. And defenses, they're playing in base personnel. So very often, because of all this formation variation, motion shifting, they line up in what we call default defense, meaning they line up probably in a zone that the 49ers will know from film study. So this is a real challenge for Jonathan Gannon and the Eagles defense. They have not seen an offense like this all season long. And then you can let that defensive line get after them. They have 39 sacks over the last seven yes. games. They're getting stronger and better, fresher as the season goes on. And then when you look at the motion that the 49ers use, second most amount of motion in the NFL, a lot of things going on. As a defense, where do you have to keep your eyes and your concentration? Man, this is where the work has to be done during the week. Yeah. The preparation, the studying of the game, understanding what Kyle Shanahan is trying to get you to do, which is really make a mistake over there in your coverage responsibility. Reminds me a lot of what Sean McVay does and his offense with that Rams team. You have to be fundamentally sound pre-snap wise, communicate with each other. And at the snap of the ball, you're going to understand they only have certain concepts that they can run with these routes. Trust your pre-snap preparation, trust your teammates, and then just do your job. That All that pre-snap motion is all to get you confused and to make a mistake. Well, in their personnel grouping, you know, you said that they only have a certain amount of concepts, but their skilled position players, they will be lined up at any position. You'll get wide receivers that will line up in the backfield with Debo Samuel. You'll get a running back, McCaffrey, who will line up out at wide receiver. They just move personnel around so well. But you're exactly right. You have to stick to your keys. There are only a certain amount of concepts, and you have to know what your responsibilities are. And when you look at that Eagles defensive front, some of the things Jonathan Gannon did with the pressure packages, you had Hassan Reddick on a twist, maybe you had a stunt, and then you had Kaiser White off to the side. A couple times I saw Brandon Graham line up next to Hassan Reddick. What can you do against the right side of that 49ers line? Try to cause confusion, right? I mean, you got Trent Williams on the other side. He's a future Hall of Famer at that left tackle position. And this is the great chess match that's going to go on between Jonathan Gannon and Kyle Shanahan when you talk about play designers from both sides of their football. It's about trying to get a matchup that benefits your guys versus what they do on San Francisco's side of the football. They'll try and find the matchup that best fits them 
to win with Bosa. So they're going to test Lane Johnson to see if Lane is, in fact, healthy. If he's effective, if Bosa is effective, you may have to start to chip or move the protection his direction, but you have to account for him because he's so disruptive. And the one thing I would say, even when you think you've gotten him blocked, you don't. Yeah. Just keep blocking right. him. This dude, his, his motor doesn't stop. He is a relentless player. Uh, he's the type of guy you would love to have on your team playing, playing for you. You know the type of uh, disruptive factor Nick Bosa can be as a pass rusher. So even when you think you've got him past Jalen and he's protected, the yeah. kid does not give up on the play. You're going to have to continue to block him. Stay on it. Yeah, and I thought the game plan coming out for that opening drive was spectacular. It was almost masterful. You say a Q, second player of the game. If you're the Giants, you're not expecting that deep throw down the field. Yeah. So you may, you're going to bite up on that play action, thinking it's going to be the run game. And then once you see it's play action, you're worried about where number 11 is at. Who threatens the middle of the field first? So where's 88 at? You got to find him. And then you get Devontae Smith crossing the field. Jalen with a beautiful throw, puts it out in front of Devontae to let him run under it. Just a beautiful opening drive and getting off to a fast start, particularly against these Football teams, they want to play ball control offense, right? That's what the Giants wanted to do. That's how San Francisco plays. They don't necessarily want to get into a shootout with you, but if you go up early on them, it forces them to get out of their comfort zone of playing ball control, and now Brock Purdy has to make more decisions with the football himself. That's why, to Q's point, getting off to a fast start is so important for the Eagles in this game. And when you look at their defense, there are not many chinks in the armor. They're such a sound defense. They play so well. But if there's, in my mind, one area to attack, it's the outside. It's getting these receivers one-on-one on the outside cornerbacks. Yeah, that 49ers front, they may be middle of the road in sacks, but they have the knockdowns, they have the hurries, the pressures, they get after you. And that run defense for the 49ers, fantastic. Eagles have one of the best rushing attacks in the NFL. This is going to be strength versus strength. Yeah, this is good on good, and you have to understand that the 49ers have this fast flow defense. If you watch their linebackers, they're all over the place. They make plays everywhere on the field, but you do have the Eagles' strength. They're one of the best, if not the best, offensive lines in all of football. So you have to lean on that. You have to take your strength and match that against theirs and just go for it. The Eagles, when they have these three guys in the backfield, and it doesn't matter which guy they have back there, they may, hey, they move the ball down the field. Miles Sanders is great. He's matured so much as a runner. When you bring in little Boston Scott, they can't find him, so he's (laughs) going to make plays. And we saw Kenny Gainwell make a real contribution last week. I think the Eagles running offense stacks up very well against that defense. Yeah, and the one guy Q didn't mention of the guys that are back there in that backfield is number one, the quarterback. He's what make this running game go. This offense forces you to play 11-on-11 football in the run game, which means you have to account for Jalen Hurts in the running game. San Francisco has not really faced the type of dynamic quarterback that Jalen Hurts is, right? right? They played early in the season against Justin Fields. A lot of rain in that game. Didn't get a real indicator of how they would defend him. Got a chance to play against the Falcons with Marcus Mariota, and he's probably the closest thing to Jalen that they faced this season. And he had some success, I believe, rushing for almost 50 plus yards against them. So the dynamic ability of Jalen to run the football and beat you with his arm, it's going to always put the defense in sort of a quandary. And the 49ers, I don't believe, have had enough opportunities to play against this style of offense, this style of quarterback to really shut it down. The Eagles will need to be patient 
with their running game. Even yes. if the 49ers are having success early and stopping it, you got to stick with it because you know just how good you are. And eventually, you're going to force that 49ers defense to make a mistake somewhere. And with that threat of the run from Jalen Hurts, the zone reads or the RPOs, yeah. how much more difficult is it against maybe the best linebacking core in the NFL? Well, it can be a little difficult, but here's the thing. Jalen's a tremendous athlete himself. You want to give credit to those 49er linebackers, Fred Warner and and Dre Greenlaw. They run to the football, and believe me, they got bad intentions when they get there. But you can also use that aggression against them. When they're trying to get to Jalen as fast as they can, he pulls that ball out, and next thing you know, he's throwing it to Dallas Goddard behind the linebacker. So it's a great opportunity to see just how – We stack up against one of the best run defenses. I think we're arguably the best rushing offense in the league, so it should be a great matchup. And how important is it to protect Jalen Hurts against this kind of physical defense? Teams, after facing the Niners this year, were 0-15 in the regular season because of how much they beat you up. Well, and coaches trust Jalen Hurts to protect himself. I think that's one of the best assets that he has. On the football field, he makes excellent decisions on where to go with the football, when to run the ball, when to hand the football off. Now, this is, as Ike said, it's such a fast defense, especially from the second level. You get a little misdirection going against those guys. You get them running one way, and it only takes a step or two in the wrong direction to have a successful play out the other way. You have to have a little misdirection mixed in with the best offensive line in football. And again, be sure to check out Eagles Game Plan. goes up digitally on Friday across all Eagles channels. Or if you live here in the Philadelphia area, Sunday morning, 10 a.m. on NBC10 Philadelphia. Great stuff there from the Eagles Game Plan crew. Thanks to them and thanks to all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcasts here with Eagles Entertainment. That being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I am Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.